Welcome to Mark Connor's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au. Leading up to Easter, we've been doing a series of messages called Stories Around the Cross. Uh, Two weeks ago, we looked at the supper and we finished celebrating communion together. Last weekend, Andrew Chisholm and our teaching team gave a a message on Judas and the betrayal and what could God speak to us through his story and the power of forgiveness. And today we're going to continue. We talk about Peter and his denial of Jesus. And so if you have a Bible with you today, we're going to turn to the best book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark. It's just a fantastic book. And we're going to turn to Mark 14 today. And I'm going to read from verse 27 in the NIV Bible. Mark 14 verses 27. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if everyone falls away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny or disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die for you, I will never deny or disown you. And all of the others said the same. Mark moves on to tell us about the trial of Jesus, and then we pick it up down in verse 66. It says, while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by, and when she saw Peter warming himself, uh, John's gospel tells us that there was a fire there because it was a cold night. Peter was warming himself. She looked closely at him and said, you are also with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But Peter denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and he went out into the entryway. The same servant girl saw him there, and she said again to those standing around, hey, hey, this fellow was one of them. Again, Peter denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Peter began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man that you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken to him before the rooster crows twice. You will disown me three times. And Peter broke down and he wept. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Bible. And although it was written 2,000 years ago, the stories that it tells were inspired by your spirit. And they have the power to intersect with our story today as we are a part of your story at work in this world. And so I pray that this story of Peter's denial would speak to each one of us today, would encourage us and help us to be transformed because of Jesus. In your wonderful name, everyone who's awake said amen. 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 Have you ever been embarrassed or fallen flat on your face? Some of you are saying, how long have you got? Uh, I've had many times in my life where I've been embarrassed. Uh, One of the early ones was at the age of 16, and some of you have heard this story. My apologies uh, for repeating illustrations. I've only lived one life, so I do have a limited amount of material. Uh, When I was 16, I was pretty good at the piano. In fact, I I never wanted to play the piano. My mom played the piano. My dad played the piano. My sister played the piano. I wasn't interested in the piano at all. And so my parents didn't force me. But around the age of 13, we had a new music director at our church in Portland, Oregon. His name was Mike, Mike Heron. And he was an amazing piano player. I heard him play. I said, I want to be like Mike. 
And so I started lessons at age 13 and I was self-motivated. I didn't need mum and dad to say practice the piano. I just practiced all the time because I loved it. And so I started learning, uh, playing by ear, a bit of jazz, a bit of classical. And so I got good really quickly. In fact, by age 16, I was playing in youth group and uh, I was uh, doing really, really well. And so this is my final year of high school and uh, our school was having a competition against other schools in the state. We were going all the way up to Seattle. And so they had a piano solo category. And so I entered my name and I started learning this amazing piano solo in the key of D flat. For all you non-musical people, that's a lot of black keys, five flats. And so this amazing piece of music, not only did I learn it, I memorized it and I was ready for this competition. Two weeks out, we discovered that each school could enter two participants in every category. So I said to my mate, my friend Todd, you know, he wasn't as good as me, but I said, hey, why don't you enter? I'll get first, you'll get second. It's going to be so good. (laughs) Now, Todd didn't know how to play in D flat. He only knew kind of F, G, and C, you know, so he, he played this little song, I Go to the Rock of My Salvation. I taught him a few little jazz licks in there, and so we practiced, we went off to the competition. Well, it's music competition day, and there's a thousand people in the room, lots of teenagers, and parents, and teachers, and it's the piano solo category. And so a girl from another school got up, she played first, she was pretty average. And then I got up with my amazing piece in D-flat major, memorized. All the judges were over there with the music in front of them. I started boom, and I moved into my piece. And about four bars in, my mind went completely blank. Yeah, a lot of sympathy from you. I can feel it. I have a very good memory. In fact, it's never happened before, never happened afterwards. But I literally totally forgot the piece. I meandered stopped and sat down totally embarrassed. My friend Todd got up, played his little song. Well, that night were the awards. Todd got first place. (laughs) And I was last, got nothing. Talk about a humiliating experience. It was a long bus ride home from Seattle to Melbourne. And it was a huge learning lesson. You know, you often learn more from your failures than your successes. And I had to learn as a young, uh, up-and-coming musician that although I had some gifts, there's a little proverb that says, pride goes before a fall. And when you get elevated with your own superiority, you set yourself up for a fall. It's a very humiliating experience. And so what about you? Have you ever disappointed yourself or disappointed other people or disappointed God? Uh, Maybe it was a failure. Maybe it was a sin. Maybe it was a mistake where you didn't live up to your expectations or promises that you made. Maybe spiritually you've had a moment where, like Peter, you denied that you even were a Christian. Or or maybe relationally you've had some some catastrophes. Maybe you had some marriage vows, but the marriage didn't work out and you've, you've become divorced. Or maybe you were tempted and got involved with someone else and committed adultery. Maybe you've had some moments in time where you look back and say, I wish I didn't do that. Or maybe financially, you've made some poor financial decisions. Or who knows, maybe had to declare bankruptcy. Or maybe just made an unwise financial choice. 
We could go on and on. There's lots of different ways we could fail or stumble or embarrass ourselves. I, I had a bit of an embarrassing uh, kind of financial situation a few years ago. I haven't told this story. But uh, I, I came into the office on uh, Monday or Tuesday morning, and usually there's some mail, and sometimes people hand things in. And there was a little box on my uh, desk. There's no letter or note with it. And I opened it up, and it's a very glitzy watch, sparkling bright. Uh, you know, I actually like watches, but I, I, I'm kind of uh, tall and I stand out, so I probably try to wear things that don't draw attention to myself. And this one was just kind of saying, look at me, look at me, look at me, you know? And it was a beautiful, sparkling, amazing watch. I didn't know who it was from. There was no note, no, no card. And I, I thought, this is really amazing, but it's probably not something I'd wear. And so I kept it for a couple of days. I thought, what am I going to do? And we had an op shop at that time. And I thought, you know, I'll give it to the op shop. Someone else can be blessed by this watch. So I did that, forgot about it, moved on. About six weeks later, uh, going through the mail on my desk, there was a letter there. N again, no um, note inside, but there was a certificate of valuation from a jeweler for a watch. The watch that I'd received. And the valuation amount was well over $1,000. I was feeling pretty embarrassed, pretty annoying. I quickly called the op shop. He said, hey, is that, is that, is that uh, watch still down there? No, sorry, it's been sold. Talk about an embarrassing moment. I've given away a watch worth over $1,000. So if you're here today or listening to this podcast and <laughs> you gave me a really expensive watch, I just need to say I'm really sorry <laughs> for underestimating its value. If you're here today and you bought a watch from our op shop <laughs> for maybe $40 or $50, be blessed. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> Have you ever had an embarrassing moment? A situation like that where you go, oh, I'm so stupid. You know, if you've ever failed, if you've ever made a major mistake, if you've ever done something humiliating, then you can identify with Peter's story that we've just read where he denied Jesus. Let's dig in a little bit deeper if you've still got your Bible there. Uh, these stories around the cross have a bit of a theme of abandonment. Jesus is about to be abandoned by the betrayal of Judas, which we talked about last week. Uh, he's abandoned by the indifference of his disciples who fall asleep three times in the garden when he wants them to pray for him. And he's about to be abandoned by the denial of Peter and the desertion of all 12 of the disciples. When Jesus needed his friends the most, they all left him and let him down. And so if you're here today and you've ever felt abandoned or let down, we serve a God who actually understands. He's been there. He's felt what you feel and can identify with that today. They all participated in the supper. They all professed their allegiance in Jesus. And they all deserted him in his moment. Of trial. Verse 27 says, you will all fall away. The Greek word is the word scandalizo, which means to stumble or be offended. It's from which we get the English word scandal. You will all stumble, be offended. Uh, thankfully, it's a temporary loss of courage, not a permanent loss of faith. Because although they'll fall, unlike Judas, they will all rise again. And Jesus quotes Zechariah and says there'll be a striking of the shepherd, a scattering of the sheep, and then a regathering after 
the resurrection. And then there's Peter. How many know Peter missed the class in school that taught engaged brain before opening mouth? He missed that class. Peter's just got this habit of opening his mouth and then thinking about it afterwards. Uh, you just can't help but not like Peter. He's impetuous. He's always putting his foot in his mouth, but he's kind of likable. And although he denies Jesus, you've got to admire his courage. I mean, just before this, there's a mob coming to arrest Jesus. He pulls out his sword and he whacks the guy, misses him and cuts his ear off. Yeah, at least he's there, he's courageous, he's giving it his all, even though he ended up denying Jesus. In verse 29, he says, even if all fall away, I won't fall away. How many know Peter's not surprised that the others will fall away? He's not, he's not defending them. He's saying, look, even if they all fall away, I'm not going to fall away. You can kind of feel a bit of self-confidence, a bit of pride in Peter, like others might let you down, but, but, but not this guy. Uh, I'll be there for you. Verse 30, Jesus interrupts his bravado and says, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. Wow, that's, that's harsh. Not just a momentary slip. Three times. Peter, you have great noble intentions, but in the pressure of the moment, you too will crumble. Uh, some commentators think the phrase before the rooster crows twice is a proverbial expression, meaning before the morning or the dawn. Others think it's a reference to the Roman bugle call for the changing of the guard between the third and fourth watches of the night, the third of which was called the cock crow from 12 midnight to three in the morning. But there's no reason to believe other than Jesus was referring to a, a literal rooster uh, nearby Peter at this time. Verse 31, Peter doesn't back down. He says, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And notice that all the others, all the others said exactly the same. And then we move down to verse 54. Peter's following at a distance. And then there's these three charges that escalates and three denials. This servant girl who worked for the high priest, he sees Peter. He notices he looks like a Galilean. Galileans were from the north. They had a different accent. They were kind of rural people, a little bit more rough and ready, not polished like the Judeans. He kind of stood out. And so she says, weren't you with Jesus? And he says, uh, he denies it. He says, not at all. And then she sees him again and says, you were with him. And he denies it again. The rooster's crowed. And then other bystanders do the same. And Peter swears. He takes an oath, denies he even knows Jesus. And immediately <laughs> that rooster crows a second time. And verse 72 is so moving. Suddenly Jesus' words flooded Peter's mind. And we are told he broke down and he wept. One translation says he burst into tears. Another says he threw his, himself on the ground and cried bitter tears. I wonder what's happening for Peter. What's behind all those tears? What, what's going on inside of him? What's he feeling? Obviously, he's humiliated. Uh, maybe he's overwhelmed with guilt of denying Jesus. Maybe he's feeling shame. Maybe there's some sorrow there. You know, Judas was sorrowful, but he wasn't repentant. Maybe Peter's sorrowful and he's actually moving towards repentance because we see later on that he is restored to Jesus. You know, guilt is when we have a convicted conscience and guilt 
comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and it's always very specific. It's always very momentary. And it's aimed at a specific response. Sorrow and then repentance, turning around from what we've done. Guilt is a positive emotion to get our attention. We've done something wrong. Deal with it. Change. Turn around. Shame is another emotion that's usually from the enemy. And shame is different than guilt in that guilt is I did something wrong. Shame is this belief that I am a bad person. And it involves this ongoing feeling of condemnation and self-loathing and this feeling like I'm not good enough. Could it be that Peter's not only feeling guilt, but maybe he's experiencing some shame? This isn't the first time Peter's tripped up. I mean, he walked on the water and then he looked at the waves and started to sink and Jesus had to kind of lift him up. Uh, One day, Jesus asked, who do you think I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, hey, good answer. You didn't come up with that. My father revealed that to you. A little later, Jesus saying, hey, I'm going to go to the cross. And Jesus is rebuked by Peter. He says, you're not going to the cross. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. How many know that wasn't a compliment? It's a little kind of embarrassing. (laughs) And then in the garden, Jesus is overwhelmed with grief. And he says to Peter, James, and John, Peter, the leader, hey, would you pray with me? And Peter fell asleep three times. Peter's had numbers of moments where he's let Jesus down. And now the biggie, he's denied Jesus three times. Maybe he's not only feeling guilt. Maybe he's starting to feel some shame. And all the disappointing Moments where he hasn't lived up to his best expectations. Shame occurs when our opinion of ourselves becomes a permanently negative one based on our past failures. It causes us to stop from moving on to new experiences. Uh, Robert McGee, in his excellent book, Search for Significance, talks about some of the evidences of shame in a person's life. It includes feelings of inferiority, I am unworthy. It can include destructive behaviors or, or self-pity, where we become a victim of what's happened in our life. Or, or isolation, where to avoid further rejection, we withdraw ourselves from people. Uh, codependent relationships or even despising our appearance. The good news in this story is whether Peter was feeling guilt or shame, whatever was happening is by the grace of God, uh, he was able to not be a prisoner to the failure that he just experienced, but to move on and know God's forgiveness. And that's great news for you and I, whatever failure or disappointment we've had, that God can forgive us and we can be free from guilt and from shame. It's actually in John's gospel that we learn a little bit more about how Jesus restored Peter from this embarrassing moment. Uh, In John 21, after the resurrection, uh, the disciples have gone back fishing. They fish all night. They don't catch anything. And suddenly they see Jesus on the beach. and, And Jesus has lit a fire. The New Living Translation says it's a charcoal fire, which is very interesting because in John 18, verse 18, we learn that in the courtyard where Peter denied Jesus, they were all warming themselves by a charcoal fire. Is Jesus doing something, even using the uh, sense of smell to trigger a painful memory so that it may be healed? Uh, Smell is something very powerful. I don't know if you've noticed how 
smells can remind you of experiences or incidents. I remember when our family moved to America back in the 70s, I was only nine years of age, and in those days, airplanes couldn't fly all the way to the mainland of America, so you always had to stop in Hawaii, which was very disappointing to have to spend a few days in Hawaii. And uh, I remember the first time we went to Hawaii, my dad was preaching at a church there, and we got off the plane, my sister and I, mum and dad, and all these people from the church came to greet us, and they had these beautiful flower lays. I don't know if you've seen those, uh, bright white and yellow flowers and the fragrance is just amazing and you know a couple of times since then I've seen those same flowers at a garden show or in someone's garden and and just smelling that fragrance takes me back to Hawaii and I remember the time there and the experience and swimming and the church the memory triggered by a smell maybe that's happened for you for a perfume or or maybe it's a meal Uh, Delja and I were just in Portugal two weeks ago for a pastor's conference there had a great time and we came back through London and last Sunday uh, I was able to speak at Holy Trinity Brompton for Nikki Gumbel had a great time last Sunday well Saturday night Delja and I were free and we were hungry so we went out and we wanted to find a great restaurant in London so guess where we ate at an Indian restaurant We all know in heaven it's going to be Indian food. And so as we were there with the menu, one of my favorite dishes is butter chicken or tikka masala. And uh, just the smell of that meal triggers memories for me because my first mission trip to India, up to the Punjab area in Amritsar, I remember staying in a hotel there with the team and every day for seven days I had tikka masala. Every day. Mainly because that's the only thing on the menu that wasn't going to blow me apart. It was mild. I could take it. And, and you know, it's funny. There in London, we're having this Indian meal. And just the smell of the meal reminded me of my trip to India. We preached outside to 10,000 people. Amazing meetings. We gave uh, sewing machines to widows. Just the smell of that food takes me back to that experience. Are you with me? And so here's Jesus. Peter's denied him. Peter now knows Jesus is alive But there's some guilt, there's some shame, there's some pain still lingering. And so here's Jesus intentionally lighting another fire, a charcoal fire. And just the smell would have triggered the memories of Peter's failure. And like a good shepherd, Jesus is about to heal the wound of Peter's denial and failure. Jesus gently brings this memory to the surface and he heals it with love and forgiveness. Let me read John 21 verses 15 to you. Uh, When they'd finished eating, Jesus had a little breakfast there for them, fish and chips, actually fish and bread. Uh, When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, son of John, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Here by another charcoal fire, Jesus gives Peter an opportunity to profess his love for Jesus, to affirm everything he denied three times, to now affirm three times that he really did 
love Jesus. Jesus is healing the old failings, the old sores, the old wounds. And not only does Jesus forgive Peter, lifting off his guilt and his shame, but he commissions him to be a part of his ministry of not only being someone who the shepherd has healed and touched, but who now shepherds and cares for people in his world. You know, I think sometimes we think to be in ministry or to be a leader, you've got to be perfect, you've got to have it all together, you've got to have no sins. Here's a great example that all ministry, anyone of us who serve and involve in the work of God, we're like Peter, we've all stumbled, we've all failed, we've all got our weaknesses, we've all known what it is to be forgiven, freed from guilt and shame, and commissioned, and as we minister, as we serve, as we use our gifts, we don't do so in order to earn God's forgiveness, but we do so for the joy that Jesus has forgiven us for all of our stumblings and our failings. We all minister out of grace because of Jesus, who is the transformer. You know, I think as we reflect about this story and why it's in the Bible, I think it speaks volumes for the accuracy of the Gospels that this is in there. I mean, if you were writing propaganda, how many know you probably wouldn't write a story like this about the main leader of the church? It's kind of like... Not something you're going to profile. In fact, uh, if Peter had a bit of pride, he probably would have said to Mark as he was writing this story, hey, hey, maybe, you know, keep that story of me saying, Jesus, you're the Messiah, but maybe that denial thing, just could you leave that out? <laughs> kind of let's edit that and leave that on the floor. You know what's remarkable? Peter was most likely the source of this story because no one was there other than him. Who would have known what happened other than him? And scholars tell us that Mark's gospel was actually a retelling of Peter's reflection on Jesus and the events of the death, burial, and resurrection. So here's Peter telling his own story of failure. Yes, as a warning that even the strongest can stumble and fall. Even the greatest apostle failed and didn't live up to his best intentions as a warning, but also as an encouragement because Peter's saying, this is what I did. I blew it. I stumbled. I embarrassed myself, but Jesus kept loving me. And you know what? No matter who you are, no matter how you failed, or stumbled, Jesus keeps loving you. It's a great warning, but it's also a great promise for all of our lives. Jesus did not give up on Peter, and he does not give up on you nor on me. And this story ended up being a huge encouragement to generations of Christians. In fact, if you read through the first couple of centuries of the church, many young Christians, less experienced than Peter, faced persecution, faced ridicule, faced even death before the lions, and thousands did not deny that they loved Jesus, strengthened by seeing how Peter rebounded from his own failure. And so Peter in great vulnerability, in great openness, is willing to talk about his own failings. I think, unfortunately, through the years, uh, qualities such as openness and vulnerability uh, have become difficult for us. Uh, we tend to want to hide. We tend to want to project our best self and kind of not show our weaknesses. We want strong leaders who have it all together. And yet Peter's modeling an authenticity here. Unfortunately, I think some, some people think vulnerability is a weakness and it actually leads to shame-based cultures in church or home or school or work where we're actually ashamed to be real because there's almost a perfectionism that you've always got to have it all together and have a great day every day and it can actually create an unhealthy environment. Uh, thankfully, this is changing. 
and vulnerability today has been talked about a lot more. In fact, if you've heard of TED, uh, Technology, Entertainment and Design, they are conferences held around the world with some of the best thinkers and creative people sharing just for 20 minutes their story. And one of the most watched TED Talks online is called The Power of Vulnerability by Brene Brown. It's had 26 million views. Just to clarify that, uh, I have a blog. If I write a really good blog post, I might get 10,000 views. We're talking 26 million people have watched this story of the power of vulnerability. And in this uh, talk, she actually turns upside down this belief that vulnerability is weakness. And she says, vulnerability is actually a sign of strength and of courage. It takes a lot of courage and security to be vulnerable about your own weaknesses. In fact, it actually exposes and conquers shame when you talk about how you really are. It's an interesting before sin. In Genesis, it says Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. There's nothing more vulnerable than being naked. (laughs) They were naked, talk about vulnerable, but they were unashamed. Unfortunately, today, we can live under shame. Vulnerability has the power to release us from shame. Things are brought to the light and exposed, and then shame loses its power. And so here's Peter telling his own story of failure and through his vulnerability, uh, helping us to be released from guilt and shame. You know, the truth is, you look around the room today, we all are dressed really nicely, we smell really nicely, but you know, we've all got challenges, we've all got struggles, we've all got stories. In fact, if you want to have a fun lunch, just over lunch, say, hey, tell me about an embarrassing moment in your life. Could be a long lunch, because we've all got embarrassing moments. Don't look at me so spiritual this morning. <laughs> we've all got them. And so just being open with each other, vulnerability is the cure for shame. When we admit our failures and our weaknesses, it builds up resilience to shame because we build our identity on who we are in Christ, not our mistakes and failures. You have a past, we have mistakes, we have failures, but they don't define who we are. In fact, could I suggest to you that probably some of your most intimate moments of connection with people have happened when you've been open and receive understanding and empathy from people in your world. That's what builds closeness and intimacy. When we take our masks down, when we're real, and may we have, as a church, safe environments where that can become a reality. That's one of the powerful things about our community care ministry is because we have pastoral counseling, we have support groups, we have safe environments where people can talk about what's happening in their life. And when you bring it to the light, shame and guilt just tend to disappear. And Peter's modeling this for us in this story. And so as we reflect on this story, the denial of Peter, I think what the Holy Spirit wants for all of us is to know the joy of being forgiven. Any sin, any mistakes, any failings you've had, guilt comes to touch our conscience so we can turn to God, repent, and be forgiven. This story is here so we can know the joy of forgiveness from all guilt. But secondly, this story is here so that we can all stand unashamed. You are not your failure. Uh, You are not your past. We can stand unashamed like Peter did. And thirdly, so that we could also be commissioned to join Jesus in his work on earth. 
why do you think this story is in the Bible? So we can all have a little laugh at Peter again. <laughs> There's Peter again. No, this story is in the Bible to let you and I know we can be free from guilt, we can be free from shame, and we can join Jesus in his transforming work in our world, engaging with those around about us, focusing on that one lost sheep that Jesus wants to bring home. And so our prayer today is that you will experience what Peter experienced, no matter what embarrassing moments or failings you may have experienced in your life. Let me pray for you today. Father, thank you for inspiring Mark to write this story. Thank you for Peter's vulnerability to maybe with tears in his eyes say, yeah, this is what I did. I said I'd never deny Jesus, but I did. And it broke my heart, but Jesus kept loving me. Thank you for Peter being so open and vulnerable. I pray for all of us here today that we would be free from guilt, free from shame and commissioned to engage in your work in the world. Just as our eyes are closed, I'll take a few moments just to ask you today whether you've ever known what it is to be forgiven for the mistakes that you've made. Maybe you're visiting today, maybe you've been coming a few times and hey, we've all done wrong things, but have you ever had a moment in time where you said, God, would you forgive me? Have you ever asked Jesus to be the Savior of your life? If you've never done that, then in just a moment, I want to lead us in a prayer to give you an opportunity to take a step and be free from the guilt of mistakes that you've made in your past. And so if you're here and you're not a Christian, you've never had a moment where you did that, and today you feel a bit of a prompting to do so, I'd love to pray for you. Or maybe you did that once, but you've drifted away, or maybe you're just not sure. Today you can be sure. And so while our eyes are closed, don't worry about your neighbor, just you, just you today. Where are you? You're either a Christian and you know your sins are forgiven, or you're here and you've never had a moment in time where you experienced the amazing forgiveness of Jesus Christ. If that's you, I'd like to pray with you. While our eyes are closed, if you just do one thing, I want you just to raise your hand up so I know I'm going to include you in this prayer. Would you do that right across the auditorium? Come on, just lift your hand up. Say, that's me today. God bless you. Down the front, uh, one, two, three, four, under the balcony there. Thank you. More up towards the back. Who else? One, two, three, another over there. God bless you. Up in the balcony, thank you. Over to the right, one, two, three people in the middle. Another two. Fantastic. This is so exciting. Anyone else today, if you're a Christian, would you just pray in these few moments? Anyone else, just say, I need forgiveness. I need Jesus. I've never invited him into my life. Thank you. Over to the right. Another hand there. God bless you. You can put your hand down once you've raised it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Down the front. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you to the left. God bless you also. That's so exciting. Heaven rejoices when even one person is a little far from God comes close. Just another minute. Don't want to pressure you. May feel a little nervousness inside. Hey, God's reaching out to you today. Push through that. Push through that. Who else? Just raise your hand. That's just a simple thing to do. Young man over to my left. God bless you. A simple thing to say, yes, I need forgiveness. Thank you. Thank you. Another person under the balcony there. So exciting. Thank you. Over to my right. Thank you so much. Up to the back, way up the back. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Very, very cool. Very cool. Just one more opportunity. You may be holding back, haven't lifted your hand, like to be included in this prayer. Just raise your hand. We're going to pray together in just a moment. That's great. 
just while our eyes are closed, if you've lifted your hand already, would you just lift it one more time all together? Just raise your hand, everybody. Just want to see everyone who's going to join us in this prayer. Just lift your hand one more time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. God bless you up in the balcony. You can put your hands down. I want to say a prayer now. It's not a magic formula, just some words for you to say to connect to God uh, for you, those that lifted their hands. But how about we all say this prayer? All right, church, here we go. Dear God, thank you for loving me and sending Jesus to die for my sin. Please forgive me for everything I've done wrong. Fill me with your spirit. Make me your child. I will live for you. I will serve you all the days of my life. And when my life is over, I'll spend eternity with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I'm so excited. You said if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved, rescued. And so I pray that supernaturally you will come inside every person's heart today that said that prayer. And Lord, you would wash away the guilt, the shame, the pain of the past. Today would be the beginning of a new day, unashamed and commissioned to join your work of transformation in our world. We thank you for all you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give these people all a really big clap today. Congratulations. Congratulations. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au.